Hey everybody, I'm Garrett. And I'm Melissa. We've been married for eight years and have two kids, Caleb and Sadie. Over the last few years, we have fallen in love with the scriptures and are learning how digging into God's word has helped us grow deeper with each other and those around us. We want to be real about our lives, our struggles, and our joys. This is Growing Deeper. Hey guys, before we get to the podcast, just want to remind you to rate and review the podcast. That'll make sure that if somebody looks up Exodus or Ruth, uh, that they will be able to pull up our podcast and, and see what we have to say on different sections of the Bible. Also, if you have any questions or comments or things that you want to share with us, uh, you can email us now. We now have an email address of growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. That's growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you, even just uh, saying, hey, we're listening and really appreciate it or something like that. I don't know. Uh, shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Now on to the podcast. Welcome back. This week we're going to be jumping right in pretty quicker than normal to uh, Exodus 5. We just have um, one scripture that we're going to hear from from Sarah. And so we're excited about that. One reminder before we listen to Sarah's scripture is that we do have the chance to win um, a Chick-fil-A gift card. And so um, if you've left a review, please be sure to like let us know who you are. Um, or if you do leave a review, you have until July 31st, so like a week from right now when we're recording this podcast. Um, and you can do that by sending Garrett or me a text if you happen to know us personally and have our numbers or a message on Instagram, or you can go to anchor.fm. Yeah, it's anchor.fm, and then I think it's slash growing deeper. You can just look it up on there. And if you go to that website, then there's a way to send like an audio memo to us. It can be a minute long. So just tell us who you are. You know, yeah. you know if you're from somewhere else, tell us where you're from. Just want to get an idea of of who's who's listening and who's enjoying what's going on here. You know the things that we're doing. Um, just want to get an idea uh, of that. And uh, for for one in particular, if you're super fly, honey, let me know who you are. <laughs> I don't really want to send uh, text messages to random people. random people asking, <laughs> "Hey, would you happen to be super fly, honey?" It's just an awkward text message to send. Uh, but you know, if, if that's you, then yeah, please let me know. Yeah, We're really thank excited. thank you for the review. Thank you for the review. We're really excited that you're listening to it and that it's meaningful to you and that this is helping you in some way. That's what we're gunning for. Yeah. So we're, we're really excited about that. So go review, uh, leave, make sure you leave a review on there and then just let us know that that was you. All right. So I guess we'll jump right into Sarah's scripture. Yep. The verse I'm going to share is from Zephaniah 317. And it says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I really love this verse, and, and I've loved it for a really long time because I feel like it displays God's love for us. And um, at times, this verse has really been comforting to me. And it's reminded me that God delights in us, and he does not put shame on us when we come to him. So many times I feel like we feel shame or disappointment in ourselves or even from other people, but God just asks us to come and he will save us. He doesn't ask questions. He just sees our brokenness and he responds with grace. 
I think that's so cool because there's not many times that we have people that will just respond with grace and love and not have some sort of um, disappointment or shame in you. Um, he also, he doesn't rebuke us, but he rejoices over us in song. And he's the perfect loving father who wants to quiet our hearts and comfort us during our darkest times. Um, so I just really love that verse and I'm glad we got to share a couple verses with you. One of the things that I love about Sarah sharing this verse is that I don't know that I've ever read it before. <laughs> and I think that that's just really cool that she's able to bring up something new and share her perspective on it when it's something that I am i don't know that I've ever read before. Can I say it too? This is the first, uh, I'll call it uh, First Testament scripture we've gotten uh, in the in, it, well, Old Testament Old scripture. Test, first that, that's what I mean. Well, yeah. Old Testament makes it feel like it's like old and not you know archaic and doesn't belong with us anymore. Like it can get, be thrown away. Yeah. And so I don't really like that because it 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 makes it feel that way. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, we want the new we want the New Testament, which but, is no, part of why we've been doing like yeah. all Old Testament. Yeah, books but so it's far. one cohesive yeah. story. So I think I just want to commend. It's finally got something you know uh, from from the Old Testament, uh, the, from the Hebrew Scriptures, I should call it that instead, uh, from the Hebrew Scriptures that is that sticks out to people that they love. And so I love hearing that from her. Yeah. I think what um, really stuck out to me, um, what Sarah said about this verse, is that God sees our brokenness and responds with grace. And, um, you know, when I hear... When we, you know, when people send us scriptures and stuff, I a lot of times think about it with, in terms of what we're currently studying, which obviously is Exodus. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was just thinking about how, you know, like Moses is such kind of a broken individual in the sense of like, he doesn't really have a place where he belongs. He doesn't feel like he can speak well. Like there's a lot of things about him that I feel like he has maybe a lot of insecurities or, you know, just, I don't know. I think he's probably going through a mentally tough time thus far mm -hmm. in our study. And so um, God still pursuing him and choosing him is kind of what I'm reminded of here with this scripture of um, God taking delight in his, in his people and not rebuking them, uh, no longer rebuking them and, and rejoicing and just how he does choose those, like, that he's pursuing us even in our brokenness. And um, I don't know. I just, I liked that little, I felt like there was a little bit of a tie in there with that. And, and I could see, I love it when we're able to bridge these scriptures together and see how interrelated they are because it is one story. Yeah. So, and we've, so... I love Zephaniah. Zephaniah is one of the minor prophets, and this is this is at the end of his book. Um, and whenever you're, if you back up a couple pages, chapters one and two are really hard to get through. So people don't often read Zephaniah because it's a lot of destruction. It's God dealing out His justice against His people and against the nations who are doing evil to each other and stuff. And and then you kind of you get to this end part. It starts in uh, in verse fourteen, and it's this this joy that Israel is going to have from their restoration. So they've been 
Zephaniah is like, hey, Babylon's coming, and they're gonna they're gonna send you away. And this last section is kind of a reflection on yes, God is going to pour out His judgment, and you're gonna go out into exile, but that's not the end of the story. It's not going to be the end of the story. He's not dealing out this just to deal it out. He's dealing it out to purify you. He wants you to be better and more than what you are right now. And right now, they're they're being garbage. They're not being good to each other. It's the same stuff we saw, you know, whenever uh, we were reading through Micah. Micah is dealing with the same problem with Judah, mm-hmm. and so Judah is in that same situation. But this last this last section is all about the joy that's going that's waiting for them, that's coming for them. And I just, I love this language. I'm going to back up a little bit and read from 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with your heart. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away the judgment against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let your hands grow weak, or let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save and he will rejoice over you with gladness and he will quiet you with his love. He will exalt you with loud singing, or he will exalt over you with loud singing. That was the verse that Sarah read. And I will gather you, uh, those of you who mourn for, for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with your oppressors. And then he, so all of this is about gathering his people back again. And his, he says, your king is in your midst. And then he repeats it, I am in your midst. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, the reason I, I really want to hammer on that, um, and just, well, I key in on that, of that the Lord your God, Yahweh your God is in your midst, is actually, that's what Exodus is doing. Yeah, I was actually um, thinking about that while yeah. you were reading it. So Exodus is all about God working to be in the midst of the people. Mm-hmm. And so this is this is a recapitulation of what Yahweh is doing in the Exodus. The people have gone away from him. He's sending them out into exile but he's saying, I'm, there's going to be another exodus. There's going to be another exodus where I deliver you and I come back and I dwell in your midst. And then the way that that ends up being filled up is through the person of Jesus, your king. Your king is in your midst. And so I just wanted, like, I just wanted to kind of trace that thread a little bit to show how you, you kind of you pull this little section out of Zephaniah, and you kind of, if you fill out the story a little bit, you see how this whole story is this unified story of God coming and dwelling with his people and dwelling in their midst, and Jesus being the walking, talking Yahweh in the midst of his people. And then the very last chapter of scripture is all about, you know, God coming and dwelling among his people. Um, it says that he's. He's with them. So there's no more temple because God is with them. He's there in their midst. And so that's what the whole story of Scripture is all about. And, it, you know, this kind of highlights that, of just how, how beautiful that picture is of God singing over you. Yeah. Um, and being joyful of your restoration and how he's, you know, delivered you 
uh, deliver his people, and he's just so joyful about it and this festival that's going on and things like that. So Yeah. So thank you, Sarah, for telling us about your favorite scripture. Yeah. Next time we will listen to Sarah's husband give his scripture, um, his Carter. And um, so we're excited to hear that next time. Um, before we jump into um, Exodus chapter 5, I did want to mention um, I kind of had a little bit of an aha moment while I was running one day. And I love running outside. I don't do it enough. But I like listening to music. I feel like I almost always have some sort of like epiphany. <laughs> Um, so maybe I should run like every day, but, uh, that's not the case for me. That would be Garrett's thing, not mm-hmm. mine. Um, but anyways, I was listening to a Ren Collective song called Ren the Heavens. And one of the lyrics in that song says, uh, Ren the Heavens to all the earth is holy ground. And it got me thinking it was after we had read about the burning bush yeah. and, um, and how, and in that podcast, we were talking about why that, you know, that that being holy ground and everything. And so when I was listening to this song and thinking about all the earth being holy ground, I was thinking about how the burning bush was a holy place because God was there. And it kind of led me to imagining like that the goal here is for God's presence to fill the earth, Mm -hmm. like through all of us. And with Sarah's scripture and kind of where you were heading with that, it it just all kind of tied into me to kind of remind me of this yeah. kind of burning bush moment where it's like, yeah, God comes to dwell with us and that is a holy space. And imagine if what it would be like if we actually, you know... If we brought heaven if, to earth and we if, filled the earth with earth, it. Yeah. If this earth was truly yeah. filled with God's presence. Yeah. And... um if everywhere was a burning bush. Right, right. <laughs> and, and, and that's, well, I don't want to get too much into it. I, yeah. I don't want to get carried away. We could go down we're actually wanting to try to be in a decent time frame tonight. Uh, we're like, but, we could but, do this in less than an hour. But no, like this idea of this burning bush, this fire from heaven coming, dwelling, the Sinai and all this stuff. And then you see in Acts, you see this fire and smoke and stuff that comes down, uh, the fire, you know, tongues of fire that come down and settle over each of the apostles, and then it fills them, and mm-hmm. so the spirit fills them, and so now all of a sudden they're all of them are little walking, talking tabernacles that can go out and fill the earth. Um, that they're they're supposed to multiply, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That's what you mm-hmm. know. We're getting back to the Adam theme, and now all of a sudden it seems like that's what the apostles are doing. They're going to go out throughout all of the nations preaching the gospel and spreading and it you and God is just like multiplying in his people and he's filling the earth and so the heavens are whenever we're going out and we're actually you know taking Jesus to people that that's that line rend the heavens and come down until all the earth is yeah. holy ground whenever whenever that happens whenever we do that that's what we're doing whenever yeah. we're going out and we're we're sharing Jesus and we're living and walking in his footsteps, we're actually rending the heavens and bringing, you know, bringing heaven to earth. Yeah. And fulfilling that prayer. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't heard that song, it's called Rend the Heavens by Ren Collective. And I just, I do, I love, I think part of the reason it was kind of this aha moment too is because 
the way they sing it, it's like they are begging and pleading to God, Lord, rend the heavens and come down till all the earth is filled with holy ground. And it's just like, it's, yeah, it's this just, plea that we that you kind of have this realize. Oh yeah, we really need that. Yeah, we like, we actually and it's like let it rain, let it rain. Yeah, and it's this idea of this washing. Yeah. Of water. Yeah. You know, and of spirit. Uh, <laughs> that. Yeah. The uh, the cleansing of the earth kind of thing through yeah. through God's holy power. So totally recommend that song. Yeah. I know Tori likes that song too, so yeah, she can. She can help us spread the word about that song. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's get a little bit of a recap. Okay. So last we left off, um, we we finally, it was two basically two chapters of Burning Bush. You know, he's standing there at the Burning Bush and everything's going on. And Moses is just really resistant to the idea of what's going on here. He doesn't, um, he doesn't really think he's the guy to go do this just anybody else. And so God is really patient with him um, through it. And it says that he gets angry with him at the end, but through the whole time he's working out a, you can see at the end of the chapter of chapter four, that he was, he was already preparing Aaron for this and Mm -hmm. that he kind of had an idea of what was going to happen here. Yes. He wanted Moses to be his direct representative, but he, um, he provides where Moses needs something and he needs support, and he needs community. He's given that through Aaron, and it and it just immediately once he's given somebody to go with him, it just, the narrative just shifts and says, like, okay, "Okay, he goes." You know, and, and there's nothing it. else. It, that idea of the community being the final step um, is really interesting to me. That he gets community, and it just seems like it transitions in the narrative, and he starts working his way towards going to Egypt. They show up. There's really weird story, really enigma that happens in the last chapter. You can get into that if you want to uh, go back and listen to the last podcast. We won't get too much into it. Um, but this whole issue with circumcision and Zipporah and what the meaning is behind that. Um, and then where we left off in chapter 4, they go to the people. And it just seems like they tell them, hey, Yahweh sent us. He's heard your cry. He's been listening, and he's here. He's going to deliver you. And it just seems like they're just like, okay, awesome. We're really yeah. excited about that. Yeah. And it almost seems like they didn't even need the signs in the first place. Yeah. The people just believed. But and it was like, oh, then they showed it. They did the signs before the eyes of the people. Everybody seemed to be pretty happy with it. Um, and they and they respond in worship. Mm-hmm. And this worship, I, I guess, I, I want to think about worship a little bit in the idea of the true worship, I think is whenever we recognize the, how small we are and yet how, how loved and cared for we are. And so they feel really small in this moment. And yet to be told that Yahweh has heard you makes them like they understand that somehow they're still valuable um, to their God. And that that lends them to worship. That that sends them into worship, not just because he's gonna he's gonna save them, but it, it is like you recognize how how small somehow we are, yet how big we are in in the thing. It, it's so it doesn't make much sense, but it, it's kind of like that psalm that is, you know, who what is man that you should even recognize him, 
and yet you've made us a little lower than the the heavenly beings and so it it's just that that worship comes from recognizing those two things you know, like you don't worship just because you recognize you're small like that doesn't lend you to worship that just depresses you <laughs> um and then you know and you may not worship if you just realize, oh, like somebody loves, but it's like whenever you have that, even though you are small, is mm-hmm. like what lends them to worship. And so that is where we left off in chapter five. And it's like, all right, now Moses is going to go do the thing, right? So mm-hmm. if we've never heard this story before, we're like, okay, he had this awesome interaction at the burning bush. Now Moses is going to go do the thing and all the people are going to be saved because that's what Yahweh said, right? Yeah. And so far it's going well. Yeah, everything seems to be going well. Yeah. So we're going to pick up in chapter five. All right. Mm-hmm. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. Yeah, so we we have camera shift. You've gone from like being in front of the elders, and now all of a sudden you've got Moses and Aaron there before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Right, and it's really odd. It's like, how in the world did they automatically just get um, audience with, with the king? Yeah. How did they get audience with the king so yeah. quickly? Whenever they're a group of bunch of slaves, we don't know. Like, yeah. it, there's not. It doesn't really get filled in. How does that happen? How did how did they so quickly gain audience? You you don't. We really don't know that they did gain quick quickly gain audience. You just get the story where it picks up to yeah. say, now they're in front of Pharaoh, and. I want to pay attention to the way things are phrased. Okay. And you think about it from sitting, let's say you're sitting in Pharaoh's chair. Okay. Say you are Pharaoh and listen to the tone, the tone that's given to you. Okay. And so I'm king of Egypt. How am I going to receive this whenever somebody comes into my court and says these things? How do, how do you think I'm going to receive it? Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, release my people so that they may hold a festival for me in the desert. Well, you don't seem very uh, subservient. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're you not, like you should be groveling right now. Yeah. Right. You should be asking me nicely. Yeah. Right. Asking. So, at, or asking at all. Yeah. This is a yeah. command. So you can feel it. You can you can feel the room. This is a command. So the the whole thing is that this is what Yahweh says. This is an announcement. This is your superior that you're supposed to answer to. That's how they that's how they open up the thing in in this in this room. And so you can feel it whenever you're Pharaoh and you're sitting in that chair. You can feel your heart grow hard, mm-hmm. you know. And you're like, who is this person that they come into my house and they tell me what to do, right? And so you can feel your heart grow hard. Um, whenever you experience that. Well, I mean, just reading this again, imagine how he responded when he thought that, like, well, I guess it was the previous pharaoh, but, mm-hmm. like, there's a history here where the pharaoh is very intimidated by even just 
more Israelites, mm-hmm. you know, like an increase in number of Israelites. Oh no, what if, and you have all these big what if scenarios, even though they're not doing anything to like try to take over, like they're not being aggressive or threatening you in any way. And so now you have somebody, God, who is coming in and commanding you to do something like how much more of a defensive stance are you going to take to that over just like, yeah, there's their, their population is growing, you know, like like one's not threatening at all. And the other is like, could be potentially very threatening, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So just, I just want to hone in that, that feeling of what just happened. It's like, he just walked in and they declared Yahweh's superiority in this moment. Mm -hmm. And so Pharaoh's response, you know, hit, so then now play it out. Who is Yahweh that I should listen to his voice to release Israel? I don't know Yahweh. And also, I will not release Israel. So you can feel his heart grow hard. Mm-hmm. And his question is really interesting. You know, who is Yahweh? It's like, he, so he doesn't know who he is. And so I, I think what what is what I think the narrator is doing here is that trying to get you to recognize this isn't just Pharaoh's question. It's not just Pharaoh's question, who's Yahweh? The question is also your question, the reader's question. Who's Yahweh? Why should I care what Yahweh says? Mm-hmm. Why should I obey Yahweh? That's what you're asking yourself as you're reading this script. As you're reading this story, you're asking yourself, why, why should I follow Yahweh? Why should I obey him? Well, Pharaoh's asking the same exact question, and guess what? That's what this book is trying to tell you, is who, who is Yahweh? Uh, and it, why should I obey it, him? And why should I obey him? And so this question is not just uh, Pharaoh's question, but the narrator's almost putting his arm around you and being like, yeah, what a, you know, how, how's he going to ask, how, how could he ask that question? Yeah, you know? and, yeah, yeah. I mean, we do kind of treat it like, Pharaoh's an idiot. Right, like. yeah, what, what an idiot Pharaoh is. But then the narrator's just being like, dude, that's your own question. Yeah, I mean, we don't we don't oftentimes say this question out loud, but our choices indicate that we feel this way sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, it's hard to see that in yourself at times, of that where you are kind of questioning who God is and like, why should I obey him? Right. Because there's something that you want to do or whatever. And it's just, um, yeah, it's kind of a humbling view to look at it. Right. And so that that's the question on the table. Who's Yahweh? And why should I listen to him? And then he, his, I don't know Yahweh. And also, I'm not going to release Israel. And uh, and so then they, they press him a little bit further, and they, they ask. And they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go for three days' journey into the desert. And so we kind of touched on this, I think, in a previous podcast. We know that the ultimate goal is that they're going to go out and be a free people. Mm-hmm. They're going to inherit the land and all of that stuff. And, you know, so why, you know, why the three days? And I think it's just to highlight how hard Pharaoh already is. Notice that there's nothing in here about Pharaoh, like God hardening Pharaoh's heart. But we can very clearly see how stubborn he already is uh, in this story. That he is stubborn. Yeah. And he's not willing to 
he he's he's saying you know absolutely not you guys you know go back to your labor you know you guys are just being you know you're just jumping out on your work and so I, I think I think there's just this idea here with Pharaoh is that he you know he's very obviously stubborn in his own, on his own right mm-hmm. you know and I also feel like at the end uh, of this section in four and five it's it's kind of Pharaoh trying to flex his muscles to show how much power he has of mm-hmm. like no he's going to be the one making commands get back to work and this idea of like look the people of the land are now numerous and just kind of showing you know a lot of people like when they have numerous subordinates or you know like mm-hmm. like look at all these people that are underneath me yeah i think it's kind of showing like he's trying to show how powerful he is in this moment and that he's the one who makes the commands and makes all the calls around here. Yeah, and so kind of hearing hearing from Yahweh has hardened his heart, even though the text doesn't say anything about it. I just want to highlight that. It's hardened his heart and has made him puff himself up mm-hmm. like, a, like a cobra. Yeah. You know, like a cobra that's just like trying to intimidate you, you know, like fans out his head, tries to look really big and bad, which they can be really big and bad. Mm-hmm. Um but now he's puffing himself up and trying to show, look at how big and bad I really am. I'm going to force you guys to work even harder. You know, get get back to work. Yeah. Right? And uh, and so, and also, I just want to note just how hard, like, the, the forced labor aspect of this is really starting to, like, you're going to see that kind of be repetitive of how hard they work. Yeah. And then later... The reason that I want to highlight that is because later it's like God's going to take them into the wilderness where he'll give them rest. Mm. Like as as their king, um, as them submitting themselves to him, he gives them rest as yeah. opposed to Pharaoh who's grinding them out in this labor. Yeah. You know. Um, okay. So what was the next section? So, all right. Six through 14. Okay. And on that day, Pharaoh commanded the slave drivers over the people and his foremen saying, You must no longer give straw to the people to make bricks like before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of the bricks that they were making before, you must require of them. You must not reduce from it because they are lazy. Therefore, they are crying out saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let the work be heavier on on the men so that they will do so they will do it and not pay attention to the work of deception. And the slave drivers of, of the people and, and their foremen went out and they spoke to the people saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I am not giving you straw. You go, get get straw for yourselves from whatever you find, because not a thing is being reduced from your work. And the people spread out all in the land uh, in all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for the straw. And the slave drivers were insisting, saying, Finish your work for each day on its day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the Israelites, whom Pharaoh's slave drivers had appointed over them, were beaten by men who were saying, uh, 
beaten by men who were saying, Why have you not completed your portion of the brick making as before, both yesterday and today? So this whole section is just, it's something else. Um, it automatically takes me back to, like, King Xerxes and mm-hmm. Esther of, and, and to earlier in this, in this book, where you have a person in leadership who just completely overreacts to a situation. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, you know, I've kind of already hinted at it of just like, yeah, if you're going to be intimidated by just a group of people growing in number just because of giving birth, like, <laughs> like how much more are you going to be intimidated and put up those defensive walls and act in ways that are just not logical at all when God commands you to do something that you don't want to do. Yeah. Um, and so making this insane request, one, it like ultimately seems like it would hurt Pharaoh because you're going to have lower quality of like Yeah, bricks. I mean, it seems like they're <laughs> working for Pharaoh. Right. And so why would you, why would... Why would your response to people coming and asking for to leave for a few days be that, no, actually, you know, you don't have any business in my court and I'm going to make it harder for you to work for me. Right. It, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. No. I mean, it, it's just not a rational response. I mm-hmm. mean, sure. Like maybe make them, force them to make twice as many bricks, maybe. But don't take away the things that make bricks good. Right. You know, that doesn't seem to make sense. It's That ultimately, like, hurts, it seems like, everyone. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, if they're building something for Pharaoh, these bricks are being used to build something for Pharaoh, to have, like, garbage straw, like, not maybe not very good straw be a part of it, yeah. would not be good. I mean, right. you, the straw is, like, what holds everything together. It's like rebar. Um, in a, so in like a steel structure, you put rebar through it to give it strength and integrity and straw was the same way. You know, you just had this clay and you mixed in the straw and it gives it extra integrity. So it doesn't just crumble. It actually is what gives it like this unifying strength. Mm-hmm. You take the straw away, you actually take away its strength. And so, um, to t- it just, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I think the other, um, interesting thing here is that. It's like Pharaoh's trying to get ahead of the narrative that he knows like his slave drivers are going to maybe hear things from mm-hmm. the Israelites and he's trying to get ahead of that narrative and just like accuse them of lying, you know, just saying that they're lazy and um like he's just trying to go ahead and say don't listen to that cuz he knows they might be temp- maybe he Maybe he thinks they might be tempted to be like, oh, like... That makes sense. This makes sense. Yeah. Like, okay. why wouldn't we? And yeah, think, why wouldn't he let you just go out and worship for a few days and I think back? you mentioned that, like, in this culture, like, when we were studying separately, yeah. like, that, that that was, like, a common thing. Yeah, I mean, to, to, be able to, to be able to go out and worship for, you know, your God for a few days, it, it's a reasonable request. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, it it would help, actually, with them being able to make more bricks for them without much uprising if they just let them go worship their own gods for a few days and then come back and then they can morale's back up and things and so anyways instead he's grinding them out and just killing their morale even more right and um and just taking taking more stuff away from them as if as if if you if you 
drive them even harder that somehow they'll they won't hope for freedom anymore you know like that that's maybe what's going behind it and the odd thing too is it's like Aaron and Moses were the ones who came with this information so like why why wouldn't you just be trying to like get them away instead of punishing all the Israelites. Well, like, I, I mean, I, I guess I guess I could see that a little bit in the the idea of if you punish the whole group, then that whole group will hold the one accountable. Yeah. But I mean, coaches do that all the time, where you have one one of your players messes up and the whole team runs, you know, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> That's like what's and then everybody then? hates that one person because. Uh, because they got them into trouble. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that, and that I think is kind of ha- that how, how it plays out. That's kind of how it yeah. plays out. Um, but yeah, so I just, I, it just doesn't really make sense that this is the the route that he would go. And I mean, I think the other thing that is interesting is um, in verse 10, this is what Pharaoh says, and it kind of mirrors what yes. happens in verse one of this yeah, chapter of, says, yeah. this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. So it's almost like they're Pharaoh's trying to make this power struggle here, like God versus Pharaoh when there's really Pharaoh's got no chance. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you can kind of sense that tension of like, this is what God says. And this is what Pharaoh said, like them right. kind of battling it out. Yeah. You can, sense. you can see what the, what the conflict is. The yeah. conflict is, God's power or Yahweh's power versus Pharaoh's power. Right. Who's more powerful? That's what the conflict is right now in this in this narrative. And so, right, I think that's exactly right. You see that thus says Pharaoh that mirrors the thus says Yahweh. Um, and the the Pharaoh part is him. He's, he's trying to show that he's the most powerful one in the room. And so he's just going to make their lives harder. And so he removes that one thing. The one thing that makes their bricks good, he removes that so that it doesn't have integrity. And I, 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 I might be taking this a little bit too far. I don't know. Um, we'll see how how it plays out. But I, I want to, I want to say that maybe that this story, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's like grand way of dealing with it is to make them make bricks without straw. So it takes out that that one thing that makes it integral, that one integral thing to what they do, because you can't actually make bricks without straw. Um, but what Yahweh is going to do in response to this is he's going to make the one thing that, that Pharaoh thinks makes him who he is, he's going to take it away, which is that he thinks that he's God and he's going to remove that integral part of what, what he thinks gives him control and power and integrity. He's going to remove that just like Pharaoh removes, has them remove the straw from the brick. And so... You know, maybe maybe that's symbolic. I'm not sure. I haven't seen that in any commentaries or anything. That's just something I was like, why, why that? Yeah. You know why why would the why would the story use that? And it, you could say there's a lot of different things that you could probably say to say that like he made his life harder. But they they mm-hmm. specifically call this out. It's like this one integral thing that makes a brick a brick <laughs> that <laughs> that makes it strong. He removes that, and so then Yahweh is going to repeat and he's going to return on it. He's going to remove the one thing, the thing that makes Pharaoh strong, that he believes he's divine, that he's that he's some god figure. He's going to remove that from him in this story, yeah, and and reducing. So, 
I don't know. I think that might be going on. Do you have any other thoughts on this section? I don't think so. Okay. So let's keep going. All right. Then the Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy. That is what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foremen realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, May the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Man, so I want to, this first line, it says that they appealed, yours says that they appealed to Pharaoh. Um, the foremen yep. go to the Is- foreman of the Israelites go to Pharaoh. They cry out. Mm. They cry out to Pharaoh. So just like they cried out before because of their labor, they cried out to God. Mm-hmm. Now they're crying out to Pharaoh. So their response, Pharaoh gets the response he wants. Now he's like God to them because he's making their lives harder, and they feel like the only place that they can go is to cry out to Pharaoh because yeah. he's the one that's making their life hard. He's the one who can make things better is how yeah, they feel. Yeah, that's the way that they feel, that he's the only one that can undo it, mm-hmm. right? And so we've gone just in a quick one hot chapter. We've gone from <laughs> they bowed down in worship uh, to Yahweh because they sent Moses to deliver them to now all of a sudden they're crying out to Pharaoh and he's kind of standing in the gap you know, between them and Yahweh. And he, they're crying out to him instead. Um, and then, you know, he he just continues to beat on them. He calls them lazy, lazy now. He, they're, not just, they're not just lazy, but now they're lazy, lazy. And, you know, just trying to tell them, you just need to work harder. You know, you're, you're just being lazy, wanting to go out and do this and sacrifice to Yahweh. But guess what? You're just gonna have to keep working harder, and uh, and so they're very frustrated with that, and just feeling like there's no hope. All of a sudden, you went from bowing down to worship last chapter to now, all of a sudden they are, um, you know, they're very they they feel like there's no hope. You know, like you've you've messed us over. Why did you come here just to do this? Yeah, and a big thing. Um... Kind of the biggest aha moment I had in this section was kind of fine. I I feel like when we read this, we like to put ourselves in the position of the Israelites. Mm -hmm. And um, we don't recognize, uh, like we don't really know how much time has passed here. So in one sense, it feels like, wow, you were just worshiping God and like you've already forgotten that he's just said like, I'm here for you and Mm -hmm. I'm going to do all this stuff. Um, But I think we forget to like look on the side of like if we were the Egyptians, the opportunities that God is giving us 
if if I put myself in the position of an Egyptian or a, in the position of Pharaoh to realize God is trying to give this person so many opportunities to do the right thing, mm-hmm. to do what he's asked. Yeah. And to come to know him and to, you know. Yeah. So to kind of, to, to back up a little bit, I think where you're going with that is that, you know, they're wondering, God, why aren't you doing something? Mm-hmm. Right. That's, yeah. that's where that comes from is this idea of why haven't you already done what you said you were going to do? Right. Like you said that fair, that Moses was coming here to deliver us and yet still here we are. And they went to him and nothing happened. Instead, our life got harder. Right. That's what that's where you're coming from with that is right. that their lives got harder. And the question is, is why? And the answer being, or at least maybe one answer being that, listen, you know, Yahweh is allowing the answers of the Egyptians to be developed. Mm-hmm. They, they're, not, they're not necessarily definitely going to say no to it. You know, it, it's, mm-hmm. they're, he's giving them agency in that and allowing them to make their choice. He's not just immediately saying, well, I know what their answer is, so you know, I'm, I'm done with them and I'm just going to deliver Israel, whatever. You can just turn it around and it doesn't matter. He wants, just like the question, who is Yahweh? Mm-hmm. God, wants, God wants Pharaoh to come to know who he is, whether that's in a good way for Pharaoh or not. He wants, he wants Pharaoh to know, come to know who he is, and so he gives him that moment. He lets him make a choice, and that plays out. And they're frustrated with it, and they're like, "Why haven't you done anything?" It's like, "Well, I'm giving, I'm letting this develop. I'm yeah. not just going to say, you know." It it gets into this. Um, if you've ever seen Minority Report, uh, where you kind of you look into the future, you can see somebody's going to do something bad, and before they do that thing bad, that you just go in, you arrest them, and you charge them with the crime that they never committed. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't allow for. It's like, well, would they have done it? You know, right. would they not have done it? And, and instead, Jan just doesn't work that way. You know, it's this idea of that um, he doesn't just come in and say, well, I know what you're going to do, smite you. You know, right, mm-hmm. right before you do it, smite you. He lets a choice be made. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's like, that creates, you know, problems. But his, he's ultimately, he's being patient with the situation. And he's saying, I want I want to give Egypt more time and more ability to make a choice here mm-hmm. and well think about yeah. too just like on an individual level of these like slave drivers like are they going to continue to put up with these like you know in this in this chapter we basically get the image of all these slave drivers very much listen to Pharaoh and you know worked the Israelites harder and beat them and all that. And so it's like on an individual level, are any of those people going to say like, this is wrong. Mm -hmm. Like we, why are we treating them this way? Mm -hmm. So it's not just, I don't even think it's just Pharaoh. I think it's also the others that are treating the Israelites poorly. Yeah. Well, I mean, and he's also, he's letting a, um, response come out of the Israelites. They get frustrated. They yeah. say, why are you doing this? And then even Moses, he's given an ability, like he has a response to it. And it's all just like a, he's showing patience. He's showing, 
he is showing their character. He's letting that kind of flow out. And it's also showing that it wasn't because Moses and Aaron went to them. It wasn't because the foreman went to them. No, the only way that they're going to get out of this is by Yahweh's power. Yeah. Not by, not by their speaking or their, you know, it's going to be by Yahweh. Yeah, yeah, something we had talked about was like, yeah, okay, what if they, um, what if Aaron and Moses went to Pharaoh and were like, hey, let my people go, and he's like, okay. Right. Uh, like, sure. Then it kind of feels like, oh, well, maybe Pharaoh is just good guy Pharaoh. <laughs> yeah, you Pharaoh's know? the one that's gracious, yeah, right? Yeah, that, and he kind of, you know, it doesn't, like, with the way the story actually plays out, you can see... God's involvement and the miracles kind of that he works in this situation Mm -hmm. and that it, that it is, it is God. It's not, it's, it's not anyone else, you know? I mean, he's using, he's working with Aaron and Moses, but like, it's not, it's it's not Pharaoh's just like so merciful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I guess I just want to, um, show that in the story that this is you know, this is one of those moments where you just look up they're looking up and they're being like why did you create this you sent Moses and Aaron here and all our situation has done has gotten worse and it you didn't deliver us instead our situation got worse so what in the world are you doing why did you why did you do this and so this isn't the only time that this will happen i mean and this is this is going to be something that happens for a lot of the prophets of God. Elijah would have the same exact experience with Jezebel. He'd be up on the mountain calling down fire from heaven and burning up the stuff on the mountain. And then, you know, and then all the prophets uh, of Baal are killed. And then Jezebel hears about it and Elijah runs for his life. And he's like, why? And he, and he begs God. He's like, why did you do this? Why am I the only one? And why, like, kill me. Just kill me is what he would say. And so it's kind of that same moment. And then, and what made me think of it, it pulled me to, whenever we were reading this, it pulled me to, to Second Peter uh, chapter 3, where Peter is writing to the churches um, in, you know, the Near East and the, you know, all, all the different churches that are all spread, spread throughout um, under Roman rule. He's writing to them when they're in like really deep persecution. And he's trying to give them courage. And he he says this, and I'll just read one section of it. The beginning of it talks about it too. Um, but they're, they're sitting here wondering, like, what I thought we were believing in Jesus as Messiah. Why is he not coming yet? Why mm-hmm. isn't he here? Why isn't he dealing with the situations that are in front of us? And this is Peter's response. He says, now, dear friends... Do not let this one thing escape your notice that one day the Lord one day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day the Lord is not delaying the promise as some consider slowness but is being patient towards you because he does not want any to perish but all to come to repentance so his his point there is that listen it feels like Yahweh is delaying it feels like he like that he's just not coming fast enough, but the whole point is that he wants he wants other people to come to repentance, not just you, mm-hmm. and um and it's for you too, 
that he's being patient. And just the same, what's happening in this story in Exodus is that God is being patient. And he's letting it unfold. He's letting them see what Pharaoh's like even more. Mm-hmm. He's he's showing Pharaoh's stubbornness and his character and his hardness of heart. And how he, he grinds them into the ground. And then whenever he t- does get them out, it's going to juxtapose. And it's going to say, listen, I... I'm the God that gives you rest. I'm the God that says, yeah, yes, like I am your king now. I'm your new Pharaoh, I guess, but you know, that you're going to come out and be my servants. But whenever you serve me, you get rest. You know, that's what Sabbath, that Sabbath hasn't been installed yet. Sabbath is part of what gets installed after this. And this idea of this resting in Yahweh and trusting in him. And and so that I think that's something that's being developed in the story, and we're just kind of left. And we're also, um, in, in this chapter, it's just like you've not delivered your people. So what are you going to do? And uh, and also we kind of get that honesty from Moses. He's not, you know, it's not like he's always just, uh, you know, um, optimistic about everything. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, in fact, he's. Yeah, he's wondering he's usually too. Not like he's usually full of doubts and and wondering. And I I think that I love the I love the tie with the second Peter verse um, because it also to me reminds me of what we'll read later in Exodus about God's character and what we've talked about so many times of this idea of like slow to anger and that slow to anger is part of it's you know is his patience you yeah, know which and, means oh, so I got a little bit more. Uh, fill out on that one. Oh, really? Uh, it, well, literally in Hebrew, it's long of nostril. And the point <laughs> with that is that whenever you're angry, you like blow out your nose kind of thing, like you s- snort kind mm. of thing. And that like this, you know, it's like this picture of flame b- blowing out of your nose. But whenever you have, a, <laughs> like whenever he's long of nose, the flame doesn't come out all the way. <laughs> <laughs> so like, it's just like this idea that like by the time by the time the fury gets out of the nostrils, flame of nose, yeah, the long of nose, long that's, of nose. that's slow to <laughs> anger. Slow, slow to anger is long of nose. Um, but that, um, that whenever he, you know, whenever he is angry, it's like it, it's given time mm-hmm. to chill out, <laughs> yeah. you know, that like whenever it does come, uh, you know, it's not like he, he is compassionate yeah. and, uh, that he doesn't just all of a sudden, you know, just like flip a switch and now he's just angry. Um, yeah. That it takes a long time to develop that. Yeah. Uh, to where he pours that on his people, you know, on his own people. Yeah. He pours out his anger, you know. I think of the last couple of verses with um, where Moses is, is talking to the Lord. And, you know, if we think about Moses is an Israelite raised by Egyptians, and then moved to Midian. And here he is, he's talking to God, and he refers to the Israelites as this people. Mm. Um, Like, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Um, And let's see, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. And he's like very much not identifying as one of the Israelites, which I, I I sort of just feel like it goes back to this idea of how he's just felt like a foreigner. And like, I, I feel like he's still just 
having a hard time with knowing who he is maybe mm-hmm. you know like his identity of of being like in all these different places and not really having a home in a sense mm-hmm. and uh i don't know it's just he's not you know you would kind of think like i think i've always thought of moses as like going back to like re- help rescue his true people kind of thing but he's not really like super connected to them right um he doesn't and like you know especially it seems like a lot of time has passed because he's like everyone god told him you know like everyone who wanted to kill you is dead so it's like he probably doesn't have like any personal relationships with the israelites that are you know, like no, they, no, they don't like him, and and they don't, like, yeah, and I mean, They're, they bl- they blame him for all their problems. Yeah, right? I mean, they ran him off in yeah. the first place. Yeah. You know, and so I just, you know, it's got to be such like a again an isolating position mm-hmm. for Moses, and uh, like you wouldn't, you don't necessarily. I I've never thought about Moses as being just like this really lonely guy until we've started. Yeah, studying this. and I, I think even as a leader later. He's just going to be a really lonely, lonely yeah. person because that leadership position is lonely in that he feels like all the problem. Everybody comes to him like all the problems are his fault. And then he's just like, Yahweh, you put me here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you yeah. wanted me to do this. And and that that's really how this chapter ends. I don't really want to go into the next part. I, right, yeah, I really yeah. want to leave it to just say sometimes there are just times in your life where you just look around and you're like, why did you send me here? Yeah. Why? Why? Why am I here? Especially, and, it's like we've had times where we have felt like specifically called to do something, and then, you know, it just you you're doing the thing you feel like you're supposed to do, and then something just happens that just doesn't make sense, and you're like, "What are is this? Is this right?" And I think what we're learning from this from this book is that we have to be patient too Mm -hmm. with God and understand that we don't understand his timetables. We know how this story in Exodus roughly is going to end. You know, I mean, like most of us have an idea. Um, But the character in the story doesn't. Right. And he's very frustrated with what's happening. And just the same... I think there's just lots of times in our lives where we look around and we feel like we were called to something. And maybe we were, like we were yeah. definitely called to it, but we've just feel in the midst of it. We're just like, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel like you're actually with me right now. And I'm really confused yeah, I, so, on, on what you're doing. So I'd say like my biggest takeaway from this as a whole is just like, just because you all of a sudden feel like, what am I doing here? Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe you didn't make a mistake. Maybe mm-hmm. God did call you to wherever you are now. And maybe it's just, it's part of it. And that there's th- things that you need to learn through it. And that there is a greater purpose for the end of the, whatever, wherever this path in particular leads you. Um, and so I hope we can take some encouragement from that just to know that no it's not it's not that we made a wrong choice or that this wasn't God's you know like calling for our lives but um 
but it doesn't mean it's just because it's God's calling for our life doesn't mean it's the easy path. 